Today's podcast is brought to you by Smith Game Calls, and it is predator season right now, folks. And you know what? Predator season never really ends. Whether you're, you know, hunting coyotes or wolves or lynx or or even bears, um, check out Smith Game Calls for every single type of uh, predator call. They've got open read calls, closed read calls, diaphragm calls. They've got them all. So check out Smith Game Calls and use promo code NONTYPICAL for a wicked discount on their webpage. T-Rex Knives, local and handcrafted knives built right here in Alberta, Canada. Our hunting knives, fillet knives, and kitchen knives here at the T-Rack shop are custom-built for each individual. We take great pride in our craftsmanship and produce an outstanding product made from high-quality steel and finished with your choice of a large selection of handle material. Find us at Tracks Knives on Instagram or Facebook or on the web at www.tracksknives.com or contact Joe at 780-831-5273 or by email at tracksknives at gmail.com to place your custom order from the T-Rex shop. You will not be disappointed. This podcast is always brought to you by Old Smokes Coffee. We give the smoked blend lots of praise on this podcast. I'm going to give the Hunter Blend line of coffee some praise. My personal favorite, a medium dark roast, the Raging Moose. If you're not a fan of uh, that nice smoked flavor that, you know, we all are, try the Hunter Blend for your standard roast coffee. Anything from light to dark roast. Promo code non-typical for 10% off. This is the Non-Typical Nation podcast with your host, Brody Teal and Eric Labrie. Let's talk hunting and absolutely everything else that goes with it. We are back, guys. It has been a hot minute. I'd say almost three weeks since we've recorded our last podcast. It's been quite a while. It's been yeah. way too long. We it's were actually just... been a while. Yeah, and we've got... Our good buddy, my man, Joe Carafell with us right now. Uh, me and Joe actually just got back from British Columbia. What has it been, five or six days now, Joe? Yeah, I think so, something like that, yeah. It's, uh, I think, four days. No, four? I'm not even sure. It, I, I spent the last couple of days sleeping, so. You know what? And uh, who would have thought this was a life-changing hunt for yourself? Yeah, no doubt, right? 100%. <laughs> Absolutely so. life-changing. We'll dive into that a little bit here going forward. Um, but yeah, you know, these last two or three weeks have been action-packed for myself. I know you too there, Eric. You got a lot going on. And um, and yeah, you as well, Joe. So now that you're back, uh, have you sort of gotten your feet wet back in the garage again, getting some knives caught up, or what's going on these yeah, days since you've been back slowly. from the hunt? slowly getting back in there got a few knives on actually got five knives on the go right now so kind of just been jumping back and forth between those five um yeah so i got some more damascus coming out in another month so that's pretty exciting man that damascus that's incredible did you see those eric those damascus knives he's doing yeah i've been following his uh his page online pretty closely that's absolutely incredible um so you got to tell people joe how many hours it takes to actually make those knives in that damascus blade 
So for the 300 layer Damascus that I'm doing, it takes me uh, 10 hours just to do a billet. So that's so, literally 300 layers. So how does that work? Share us, uh, you know, give us a bit of insight in how, uh, what makes Damascus blades or what makes a Damascus uh, piece of knife. So I take uh, two types of steel. Right now I'm using uh, 15 and 20 and uh, 1084. And I'll get uh, 13 layers of each, so 13 pieces of steel. And then I lay them in alternate layers. I'll weld them together and then I'll heat them up, get them ready, put them, uh, forge weld them together, stretch it out into about 16 inches, cut it into three pieces, stack them again, weld that, get it hot, forge weld it, and then stretch it out into another 16 inches and do the same process. And so you just I keep doing at, that like, over and over again, basically? Yeah, so that's how you get your layers. So the first will be 26, and then the next one, you know, will be like 75. So it's actually a little more than 300. Wow. And then every time you cut it, that's those 26 will just stack on top of another. So that's absolutely like, incredible. I had no idea that that's what Damascus was. I seen I've seen Damascus blades before, and I just thought they looked cool, but I had no idea they were that labor intensive. Yeah, the process is pretty crazy. It's it's a lot easier if a guy has a press and stuff, but uh, I don't have a press right now, so that's uh, yeah, it's all all strong arm. So you're just wailing <laughs> on it with a hammer, then? Yeah, yeah, for the most part, yeah. Wow, right on. That's incredible. So, what does a Damascus say uh, Skinner cost the guy? What are those going at right now? Uh, so for my Damascus, it's about a hundred bucks an inch is what, uh, I go with right now. Okay. Plus, plus materials. So yeah. It's a lot of work to do and everything, like I said, everything's made from hand. It's not, it's not, uh, made in another part of the country or a different country. Yeah, no it's doubt. And everything's, right everything's basically made to order for the person placing that order. Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's totally custom to, uh. To what the customer wants and i got like i said i got tons i got tons of handle material in now i i kind of got a fetish or something for that um, i'm constantly ordering i got an addiction i'm addicted to it i just actually got uh two more carved antler in today and some ancient bog oak that came in the mail that stuff is really nice wow that's incredible right so on. yeah i'm just i'm always ordering stuff online like uh just about every couple of days, I got something new coming in. Yeah. So, um, what options does somebody have if they want to place an order for, uh, like, what handle options do they have? There's antler, um, mammoth tusk. You got mammoth so, tusk. Yeah. And, so I got uh, what mammoth. What else do you offer? I got antler. I got carved antler. I got uh, specialty woods. I get a lot of specialty woods from Windsor Plywood. Um, I got some African ebony. I got rosewood. I got Chicote Coke. Um, I got lots of G10. Just about any color of G10 that you can think of, I probably got. And also, I got uh, micarta. I got red micarta, black micarta. So it's it's endless, really. It's really endless. And I even got uh, some of the pins I stock are all different color now. Oh, so nice. I can really change up his blade. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and to a lot of people this just sounds like gibberish they have no idea what you're talking about 
So what I say is go check out T-Rex Knives on Facebook and Instagram, and you've got pictures upon pictures of, of knife builds that you're working on right now. You've got pictures of ones that you've completed and, uh, you know, just a ton to look at on there. And, you know, if a guy likes a handle of one, but they want a blade, you know, and say a shape of a different one or they want a filleting blade, um, you know, let you know and you can basically do it all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like just um, actually it was the day after we got back, I uh, finished up. I had 22 knives that I heat treated. I had those ready to go, but I did the final heat treat on those. Uh, was the day after we got back. I so seen that. Yeah, yeah. There's a few new models kicking around in there and some of the old older models that I got. So those are new blade models? Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. There's some new models, some new styles in there. Those have not been posted. I'm like, there's a lot of knives that I haven't even posted on Facebook or Instagram. I probably got another 40 on my phone that I've never, I've never shown, so. Wow. So if someone's sort of unsure and they want something really different, they can even send you guys a message and uh, you guys can sort of go back and forth on Messenger type thing too, eh? Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, and if if uh, there's nothing there they like, we can always, you know, build whatever they want. It's sky's the limit. So I noticed the other day on your page you had a guy doing some uh, pattern dipping for you. Oh, yeah, we did. Actually, yeah, we did uh, skinny dippers. A uh, buddy of mine I went to high school with, uh, Travis Holman, really good guy. He's been uh, in the paint industry for probably 17 years. He's actually been after me for quite a while now to try the hydro dipping of some knives. So we did uh, five models, I guess, and uh, they turned out really good. Yeah, so yeah. I seen the one you did was that superhero design, and you actually donated that one to a charity. Yeah, that's uh, actually going to uh, Moving uh, Mountains for Mighty Max. Okay. Uh, so it's a charity here in Alberta. He needs, um, he's got spinal atrophy, I believe it is. And uh, I think he needs over 2.1 or $2.8 million to get his um, medication. Oh, so man, there's a big auction kid, coming awful. up. On February sixteenth to nineteenth, and you can actually bid on that knife. It's uh, it's in there. It's totally custom built. That's hydro hydro dipped. It's got carbon fiber. It's uh, it's a really nice one. Yeah, that's super nice. Um, yeah, that's awful. So February sixteenth to February nineteenth is when they can, um, put their uh, is when the auction goes for that one. Eh? Is it all online or how exactly does that work? Yeah, it's all online. Just give me one second here. Actually, I'll look at. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that seconds. knife, you know, it's yeah. The, the blade on that, that superhero design, that's super cool, man. And you know, whether you're, you know, a hunter or you just want sort of a daily carrier, that one's sort of perfect for everything. Yeah, that was, it was pretty neat too. The way uh, Travis was able to do it. Like he, he hydro dipped it and he was able to pick two patterns and put them on each side, like almost perfect. Oh, is that what he did? There's a, a different pattern on each side of that. Knife. Yeah. So there's actually a totally different pattern on the other side. Oh, wow. So can you tell us exactly how he did it? Like, were you, were you able to watch and see how he, how he did that, uh, like that superhero pattern, super intricate? 
Yeah, so like uh, Travis, he's like I said, I think he's been hydro dipping for probably six years. Uh, if you want, you can check him out at Skinny Dippers on Instagram. The Skinny Dippers actually is called on Instagram and Facebook. But yeah, he's been doing it for six years. And uh, he's got like thousands of patterns that you can pick from. So he's got camos. He's got like motherboard stuff. It's pretty crazy. And what he does is he's got this tank. And you basically pick your pattern. He he did a prep on my knife. So he did a, he primed it just like he would paint a vehicle. Yeah. Is the way he did this knife. And he had them all ready. I came down to the shop and we picked some patterns out. And yeah, it was, it's, I actually got some video I should throw up, but he can pretty much dip anything that can be put into water. That's awesome. So, Has he done many skulls before? Yeah, he's done a few skulls. He's actually uh, looking to do a few more. He's done rifles. He can do bows. Interesting. Can, uh, First time he did knives, actually. So now if someone shoes. gets a pattern, can they give him the pattern and can he print the film to do it right there? He's actually just getting set up to do his own printing, but I'm sure he knows a guy that would print the pattern for him. That's awesome, man. Right on. Well, I might have some business for him. I know we have quite a few guys here at the, at the taxidermy shop that ask us, you know, if we do um, dipping on skulls and European mounts and this and that. And I was going to get into it about six or seven years ago but you know um a guy's only got so much time to do everything and uh and i decided to opt out on that one but uh, yeah no i'll have to get in touch with him because uh i seen the work he did for you and it was quite impressive yeah like uh the one i really liked was that winter storm i did that was the white and black that one turned out really nice yeah and you Super did nice. uh you did you did a, a giveaway on that one on your page. Is that correct? Or a raffle? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I did a giveaway on that one. Actually, I got uh, I got a Muddy Girl Camel one that I haven't finished. And also a black one with uh, kind of got gold snake skin on it, I guess. Is what nice. It would be. Yeah, you raffled off that, that white one. And uh, my wife kicked my butt because uh, I missed out on that one there. And she liked it. Yeah. That's just one thing I do for like it's it's a lot for my uh, personal, you know, my uh, close friends and stuff. Uh, I kind of do one or two every now and then just to give them a chance at having one of my pieces because they they're the ones that support me the most, right? Yeah. From when I first started, so I always try to do a little something special for them. Yeah, no, without a doubt, man. So can we uh, have we waited long enough? Can we talk about your guys's cat hunt? Yeah, definitely. That's uh that was an epic hunt. It was it was it exceeded my expectations. Now, going into this hunt, you know, I picked you up in Dawson Creek on I think it was Sunday there. Um going into the hunt, was it what you expected? You know, I've I've never hunted with um hounds like that, so I didn't know what to expect. I did a little bit of research and I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of what you know is gonna happen. So do you guys maybe want to just get a do a quick breakdown of the hunt and maybe who you went with yeah. and what you were hunting and where you were hunting? Yeah, yeah you, you go betcha. Ahead, really. So we were with uh Skinner Creek Hunts, uh Doug and Julie McMahon in uh, the Chilkootin region of British Columbia. Now, Doug moved down to this region, what was it, 15 or 16 years ago there, Joe? Yeah, 15 years ago, he said. 
Yeah, so he moved down there with a goal to kill a cougar and track it, like chase down a cat with the hound. So he bought his first dog off Craigslist. Wow. And I think that, did he say the dog was a couple years old or a year and a half when he got it, I believe? Yeah, it was... Oh, jeez. Yeah, I think it was about a year, so maybe. So the, the dog, you know, the dog wasn't a pup anymore. Um, and it definitely wasn't trained for cats. But he was bound and determined that he was going to chase down a lion with this dog. He had never done it before. No one taught him. And he had this dog that was untrained and already about a year and a half, two years old. He worked his ass off that first year and and had that dog finding the cat tracks and locating them and sniffing them out. But you only have one dog, right? So it's tough. I believe he didn't. Did he chase down a cat with that first dog or did he get a second one? I think he ended up getting a second one, is if I remember correctly. Yeah, so he started with one that he got off Craigslist, um, got it somewhat trained, ended up getting a second one. And uh, then he started chasing cats down. And so cougars led to bears. And then cougars and bears led to lynx. The thing with lynx, and that's what we were hunting this uh, this past week, they have very, very small pads. And they float over top of the snow. So when they walk, they do not leave a lot of scent. If a dog can track lynx, that dog can track nearly anything. Because lynx leaves so, such little scent. A cougar is going to, you know, push all the way down on that snow. They got great big oily pads. A bear is going to do the same thing, but um, a lynx floats on top and they don't leave a lot of scent. So he chased cougars for the first couple of years. Then he got onto bears and then lynx. And uh, here we are 16, 15 years later. And uh, we actually just completed his last lynx hunt, guided lynx hunt that he'll ever guide. So he's actually moving down south to Panama. Um, we believe. He's not exactly sure where, where he's moving yet, but he's starting a, a big game fishing resort. But anyways, we were hunting with Skinner Creek Hunts, and uh, we had an amazing time. And uh, yeah, Doug and Julia were the owners of that business there, and we were hunting lynx. We had scheduled six days of hunting, but we wrapped it up in uh, a measly three days. <laughs> a little quicker than we anticipated, eh, Joe? Oh yeah, most definitely. You know, it's, it was, it was tough for me on that day too, is as you had my bow and we talked about on the way down there, you know, if I get an opportunity to get a good shot that I got to take it. So I was kind of up in the air, took a lot of time. I was like, do you know, do I want to do this on day two? We've got lots of time left, but the opportunity was just, it was too good to pass up. Well, you know so. what? You tell tell everybody what Doug told you the first, the moment you told him you were using your bow. Oh yeah, was, he said, um, you know, he, he he said to me, he said, you know, it's probably you probably don't want to use your bow. He said, you know, if you want to use a gun, you you should probably use a gun because bow hunters that come down here, they're like, yeah, I'm an archer, you know, like. I could take this shot. I I kill a lot of stuff. And yeah, it, it, he just put something in my head and it was very mentally challenging after that. Well, Doug's <laughs> one of those guys that are brutally honest. So this has been 15, 16 years of guiding guys that you don't necessarily get to choose. 
So you get guys from all walks of life. You get bullshitters. You get guys who are humble as hell and everything in between. And so he was straight up with us. He said, guys, you know, I've guided hundreds and hundreds of hunters for links. And I've got maybe a handful, maybe a handful that have killed a lynx with one arrow in the tree. We've had world-class archers that are shooting at a lynx in the tree. It looks like a big target because they have about two-inch thick fur all the way around their body. But realistically, your vitals are about the size of a pop can. And you're shooting 30 feet up in the tree, shooting through branches. You got those dogs barking and uh, your heart's absolutely pumping. So it doesn't happen very often that guys kill a lynx with one arrow. So he warned us and and I opted out right away. I said, well, that's not for me. I'm not even bringing my bow, so I'm not tempted. But Joe, you were bound and determined and I knew you were going to do it. You know, from the moment you said, no, I'm using my bow, you were determined, and uh, I knew it was going to happen, and boy, am I ever glad it did. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was it was absolutely unreal. So, like I said, definitely a first for me to use hounds. And I'm kind of sad that he is leaving to uh, do the big game fishing because I would have loved to go down there this spring and chase some bears oh my gosh man tell me about it the whole time we were hunting lynx i'm like you know i'm sort of all these bear stories i'm getting a little excited for spring bear season and you know that's one thing i really really want to do is you know chase bears with dogs um and it would be incredible if we could do it with him right but uh you know it's not looking that way and you know what if anybody wants to get into the outfitting business in bc or even buy like a phenomenal lodge and cabin setup check out skinner creek hunts online um they're selling the lodge they're selling the cabin they're selling their their outfitting business their dogs and everything and they're moving down south um so you know if you want to dabble in that um you know just incredible operation unfortunately they are uh they're packing her up and uh you know they they've done it long enough but i want to get back into this hunt joe so we hunted day one and uh what what was it probably around one o'clock when we got into our first fresh set of lynx tracks yeah on day one yeah Actually, I think it was around 11. Was it a little earlier? So yeah, those because, dogs were uh, chasing that cat around for a long time, though. Yeah, we put on a few... Uh we put on a few kilometers that day, that's for sure. Yeah, so we released on day one, and uh the dogs had went, if I remember correctly, it was around eight or nine kilometers. And yeah, they went eight, directly eight. into, um, you know, into the mountains. They went into the steep stuff. And so um, we we waited on the road for them for probably about 45 minutes, half hour, and then we decided to go in after them. And um, we went about two kilometers, I think, before we called it off. And, uh, you know, the dogs were just getting mixed up. Something happened, but, um, you know, we had to call that one off. So we, we cruised around for a little bit longer, didn't see anything on day one. Went back to the cabin in the lodge, had an incredible, incredible meal. Um, that's one thing with uh, with Doug and Julie. They're going to make damn sure that, uh, you know, you leave missing their meals. <laughs> or you aren't going to want to leave because they're so freaking good. Oh, for sure. I'm still thinking about the apple dumplings. <laughs> the apple honest. dumplings. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> I know. They were absolutely <laughs> delicious. Was that on day one or day two we had those? I think it was day uh, two. It's day two we had the apple dumplings. 
That's right. So we got out there day two of the morning, and right off the bat, we found you know some fresh, fresh lynx tracks that were probably from a few hours earlier. But there were multiple sets of tracks. It looked to be you know a female with a few young ones. So we opted out on chasing those. It wasn't three hours later, four hours later, and we got onto another multiple set of tracks, and just too complicated to release the dogs on. You know, there very well could have been a few young ones in there. And Doug just, he's had enough experience chasing these cats. He knew we'd have a better opportunity than releasing on something that we're totally unsure of. Yeah. Um, you know. And then the, oh, like getting close to the end of the day and just looking at you in the back there. And I was like, oh, you know, are we going to even find something today? Is Man, this... I was mentally in the dumps. <laughs> I was yeah, mentally so was I. frustrated. I was sitting in the backseat of that truck. You know, it was one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. And then we were approaching on four o'clock and I hear freshy. Yeah, just out of the corner of my eye, I, I caught those fresh jacks. Like just, it was, it happened so quick. And then we, yeah, it was just so fast the way that went down. Man, your eyes were the size of golf balls. <laughs> Well, that's gonna be tough to to be looking for lynx tracks. Like you guys are driving in a pickup, yeah. right? And you're just driving on like an old logging road or something. Yeah, so we're basically driving as old logging roads and trails. He had a little quarter time, so, so he how, bombed that. So thing how down often are you stopping for like the coyote tracks or the wolf tracks to just check? Or? So when Actually, I was when I was cougar hunting, I was driving about five kilometers an hour. Doug has been doing this for 15 years. So when he's on the logging roads, he's going, what, 40 kilometers an hour? <laughs> oh, yeah. He can pick out a track. He's like, bombing, it, man. Wow. It is crazy. Like, he, he, he'd be like, oh, it's, no, that's not fresh. And you're like, what? Like, how, how can you tell? <laughs> well, and that's why it was getting sort of frustrating for me because I see something and I'm getting jacked up about it, but it wasn't good enough. Right. And just because I don't have the experience, yeah. you know, I don't have the experience he does. And then when you said fresh and he said fresh, I'm like, okay, hey, if he's saying fresh and getting excited, we're on to something here. So we had crossed that road about an hour earlier. So that track Doug had figured was within about 20 minutes. So he let yeah, the dogs least, go on that yeah. one. The dogs had only went 500 yards in the bush and then they started circling back to the road. I'm talking to Joe in the camera and the lynx runs right across the road, 80 yards down the road from us. The two dogs are right behind it. And then the four older ones are right behind those two younger ones. Wow. And so at first, the thing with the two youngest dogs, they're full of piss and vinegar. They're always leading the pack. They're always right on top of the trail. But when that cat trees, they have a tough time finding which tree it's in. But the older dogs which have the experience, they know how to find the tree. So the two dogs are always leading. They crossed the road. They couldn't find where the cat was. And then the four dogs followed behind. They found exactly what tree it was. And it was only maybe, what was it, 30 yards off the road? Yeah, I think something like that, yeah. And so that's one thing we sort of discussed with you, um, you know, when we started was the most important thing for you if you want to get one with the bow is we got to make sure that we get... You know, we want a mature cat, but we got to make darn sure that we get you the perfect opportunity possible. Yeah, and I couldn't ask for a better, a better shot on that, that cat. It was, 
It was actually all, it was perfect. Everything was perfect that day. Well, and that's, and that's what Doug said, right? Like when he seen that cat in the tree, he said, boys, this might be, this might be your best shot opportunity. If that's what, if that's what we're trying to get for you. Right. Um, you know, you might have, but even that, like even the cat was, they're good sized cats are, you know, the carcass was 32 or so inches, um you know 23 22 pound cats so they're good size links but their body like their chest is only as big around as like a two liter pop bottle right as big round as it yeah like well, turned I, on its side. i don't think yeah. they're even that big yeah. to be honest yeah yeah so and, and your cat it was up in the tree didn't really have any limbs in front of it it was standing up which was nice it wasn't sitting down um so yeah no you got her down man and uh you know, just super, super exciting. And I've told a few people, these type of hunts with dogs are almost more important that these dogs have success than the hunter does. Because those dogs try so hard and they get so damn excited when that cat hits the ground and when they get on a track. That's what those dogs live for. So the success of these hunts is as important or more for the dogs than it is for the hunter. Yeah, it's crazy. Like if even like driving and then we stop, we get out, we look at trucks, truck would stay running and the dogs are quiet. Then we get back in the truck, we go. Find another set of tracks, we'd stop, get out, come back, shut the truck off, and the dogs they go know. absolutely crazy. They go fucking bonkers, man. Like they just know like it's game time. We're gonna go. Yeah. That's awesome. And so we would set up, we would set up three cameras. We'd set up one on the trail. So we'd get those dogs running at the camera. We'd set one like underneath the tailgate, or we'd set one right where those dogs are coming right out of that, that, uh, that kennel basically. And we just got incredible footage of the dogs. And yeah, when you open that, that kennel, all hell breaks loose. They are gone and they find that trail right quick. So what, what kind of, what breed of dog are they? Oh, I asked you, Joe, and I can't remember. I can't remember offhand either. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people for cougars will use like blue tick and um, those orange and uh, white ones. I can't remember the name of them. But uh, yeah, no, he uses a different breed of dog, but they are just unreal. And so I asked him about the bear hunts because you do them in spring. And we see bear tracks in spring, right? So I said, are you looking for tracks? He's like, no. What they do is those dogs are up top on the roof of the truck and they just drive, drive slowly. And those dogs just smell for the bears and they'll start barking when a bear is nearby. So they don't even look for Holy tracks. shit. He's like, no, man, we, we've never once set out on and looked for tracks. The dogs go up top on the truck. He's got a railing and, uh, I think it's called baying or something, and they just slowly go, slowly wow. drive down the trail, and those darks dogs will just start start barking when there's a bear nearby, and then he releases them on the bear. That's and he has like wicked success with bears. It's unreal. Yeah, like just, he was saying the ground's so hard up there, like they don't even leave a track. So no, it's not like here where we can see him in the mud or. Yeah, because that is one thing, you know, and, and that's what I thought. I thought you're looking for tracks, and then you're releasing on the tracks. And he's like, no, they're sitting on the top of the truck, and they'll just start barking when when, we, when there's a bear nearby. That's unreal. Yeah, no, it's crazy, man. And um, 
Yeah, unreal. Something I really, really want to experience just to see those dogs work, to see the excitement of those dogs is unreal. And to get a bear in the tree, or a lot of times they won't tree. Mm -hmm. So it's just a standoff between the bears and the dogs, basically. And uh, you got to get in there with a bow or a rifle or something and uh, get her done. One thing, though, you know, we're super fortunate in Alberta with really big, big bears. And they get good-sized bears there. But we consistently see, like, 20-inch bears in Alberta. And, yeah. and that's not overly common in BC. But they'll get really old bears because this area, he's really – like, it's in the middle of nowhere. We're three hours from cell phone service. So no one's hunting in this area. He's one of the only guys hunting. So they get a lot of old, old bears. But, you know, around here and even farther west, when you get into the agricultural areas in Alberta, you get big, big, fat, yeah. huge scald bears, right? Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily see that there. They do get big bears, but um, more so just old, old bears. Um, but definitely something I want to experience. Now, we've, we've killed a lot of bears over the years, and um, bears with dogs is definitely on the list. Yeah, that sounds really cool. It sounds like a little bit of trouble being on a standoff. Yeah. What do you think, Joe? You're up for bears with dogs? I think I would be. I think I'd love to take one with my bow like that. Just the adrenaline would just be insane at that moment. <laughs> it would, man. For sure. You were pretty darn close to staying for another five days after Cougars. Yeah. You know, to be honest, uh, after seeing what the weather did, I probably would have stayed if I would have known. <laughs> <laughs> know he had it all be... planned. He was gonna fly out from Williams Lake and stay for another five days and kill a big lion. And yeah, I should I should have bought my tag on day two, and then that would have put me yeah, and even three just days. hunt the final three days. Yeah. So so how it works in BC, from what I understand, is you got to buy your tags two days or three days before you hunt. Oh, okay. So you can't say you see a cat on Wednesday. Go and buy a tag and then go kill that cat. You got to yeah. wait. Mm -hmm. Is it similar in Alberta? I don't think so. No. I, not that I know of, though. I, yeah. I've never even bought a cougar So when tag. you register someone for an allocation as an outfitter, like one of your moose tags or bear tags, you can register them instantly and they get that tag? Yeah, you just typically, like, you'd go to a gas station yeah, and yeah, just buy sure. them over the counter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess in BC, there's a two- or three-day layover you typically have to wait but um is that just for cats or is that for everything oh i'm not too sure i'm not too sure yeah so yeah day yeah, two joe you got an absolutely phenomenal cat you know we got some great footage of it and that's why i'm so glad you got it we, you know we got really good footage you had spotted that lynx track um everything about that was just you know perfect and and you know incredible story to tell and very very exciting Oh, definitely. Like it's, it's one hunt I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, you know, it was my first one with hounds and yeah, it was successful. We were both successful. So yeah. You know, and I was doubting it, man. Like to think back now, like hindsight's always 2020, 20, right? So to think back now, midday on day two, I'm like, fuck, don't tell me this is going to be one of the 25 hunts I've done the last two years where I've just ate shit, right? But uh, surprisingly, um, things turned around super, super quick. So you got yeah, yours. We went back to camp, got it all skinned out, you know, had a delicious meal, loaded up on dessert, some apple dumplings. And um, 
We watched a little bit of, uh, what was it, Tread Barter on TV there? Oh, yeah, good old Tread. Good old Tread. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's too bad. That guy ended up uh, passing away, I think, in 2017, I think. Yeah, so Tread Barter was uh, an American hunting TV host who actually had a show on NBC for nine or ten seasons. Okay. He had a spinal disease on, I think it was season six or seven. So he continued on with the show in a wheelchair, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he went to Skinner Creek. They did, what did they do first? A lynx or a bear hunt? He did the bear. I've seen the bear one for sure. Yeah. So we watched the bear episode. And so they get this bear, they get him in the wheelchair, lift his wheelchair across a, like a, a valley basically get him down he arrows his bear with trad gear one shot wow. just perfect there might have been a little bit of tv magic going on there but he got it yeah i was pretty crazy like the way they're skidding him across the 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 valley there was yeah. even unreal there's like five or six guys out there carrying his wheelchair holy shit he's got yeah. bicycle tires on it it was actually pretty awesome to see and so that. he was an ex-military guy eh? and so he had a really big ego yeah. really big ego and his show was on nbc of all wow. places if you can believe that right so it was a high budget show um you know this was probably in the early 2000s when this was going on he went to uh shot show or one of those big shows when your nbc went to him they're like so you know you're going on to season 10 what's your plan and what was the famous line he said oh he's like i'm gonna go to africa and we kill a fucking giraffe <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna kill a fucking giraffe and they cancel this show right then and there shit. That's yeah awesome. well i don't know how many times i said that to myself since i left that place <laughs> bless his soul man he died in a vehicle accident i think three or four years ago coming down from the yukon he had he had his own vehicle it was rigged up for his wheelchair so he could drive on his own and yeah you know super unfortunate but uh yeah an absolute legend man absolute legend that's crazy so anyways day two we uh killed you know he killed an incredible lynx had a great meal watched some tread barter at the at the cabin hit the hay early and we were up early the next day to, uh, you know, pursue another lynx. I had my tag to fill. And then it was a beautiful day. Hey, day three, the, the skies had opened right up. We had some sun shining. Um, it was a little bit warmer. And it was a magnificent day. Yeah, I don't think that, that it couldn't have been any better than that day, actually. It was beautiful. It really it was, was. You know, and I the was, day started I was out a little sad getting up that morning and, you know, looking at my bow saying geez you know it's day three you could have probably waited a couple more days <laughs> now you're done now you're stuck in the back seat <laughs> yeah you know what man and uh yeah and the reason we we had those thoughts in our head is because we enjoyed it so much it was such a beautiful place that we just didn't want it to end yeah exactly 100 percent and so, you know, we got up that morning, had a great breakfast, got out there, and uh, we didn't see any tracks, no fresh tracks at all within the first three or four hours. You know, we covered some of his best areas, and there just wasn't much moving that next morning. Um, you know, we told a lot of great stories in the truck. 
and uh, had some great conversations, but not much was moving. And then so we got back onto one of the main roads, and uh, I don't know who spotted I think he probably spotted He's like, hey, there's Link's track. So we get out, have a look at it like we do all of them. And sure enough, it's a like it left a big track. It left a big track. To me, it looked like it was probably, you know, eight hours old, probably from early the night before. Um, but he figured, you know, this is a big track. You know, it could be six or eight hours old, which is almost pushing it for links. Mm-hmm. You know, a cougar track at six hours old, that's great. There's a lot of scent there for those dogs. But a lynx track at six hours, there's, you know, it's it's slim. Like, there's slim chances now that you're going to get this cat. But it was, uh, you know, the freshest track we've seen so far that day, so let's let loose on it. We were pumped right up, eh, Joe? First one of that day. Oh, yeah. At first, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be another day, too. You know, we're going to drive and drive and drive and stare stare at the ground. And, and that's what I thought, too. So we were so pumped up. We bailed out of the truck. You know, you grabbed one camera so you could film the, the dogs coming out. I ran on the trail where the Lynx trail was and set up another camera. And then we released the dogs. And the dogs run to you. They go in the yeah, opposite Yeah, because I was standing in the wrong spot. <laughs> We're in the total wrong fucking places. We screwed those dogs up so bad. They didn't know what was going on. They thought they were going for a piss break just because it wasn't a fresh track, right? It wasn't super fresh. We pointed the dogs in the right direction, and sure enough, they eventually got on their way. Um, We were watching the GPS for a little while. You know, they're sort of running in circles. They were making their way back, and they'd go a little further. Um, and it was probably about half hour, 45 minutes. And what was it? Skittles and Oreo. Yeah. I think Oreo was, Oreo was in the lead. He was like way, he was like 800 meters, I think ahead of everyone. Yeah. So we had, and then Skittles finally jumped in there and slowly, slowly made their way up to Oreo. That's right. So it was about a half hour and then the dogs started separating and, and Oreo, one of the younger ones just started beelining you know, the total opposite direction from us. And uh, she was covering ground quick. So we knew she was onto something. But the only issue is when there's one or two dogs on the track, they'll stomp out that track and the other dogs won't know where to go. They're just following tail. They're just following tail. And if they get mixed up in that bush, well, then you got to call it off. So Oreo's covering ground and then Skittles catches up to them. And it was probably another 10 or 15 minutes and our GPS was saying treed. But our GPS has been saying treed, you know, consistently. Every time those dogs stand there for 20 seconds and bark, the GPS will say treed. Now, it was saying treed for about a minute on both dogs. So we knew something might be up. But these dogs, you know, they they kept moving. They weren't treeing on one tree. So... We watched the GPS, sat in the truck for a little bit, and then the two younger dogs actually backtracked to the four older dogs. Yeah, they kind of just beelined across to those other ones. They must have heard them barking, I think. Yeah, so so they, they were on a trail, but then they beelined back to the other dogs. And so what actually happened is these two younger dogs had treed that cat. But like we said earlier, and what happened with Joe's is the younger dogs... They're so far ahead of everyone and they've got great noses, but they have issues locating the cats in the tree. So this cat, when we walked up to it, it was about 60 feet up. It was high. It was way up there. 
So what the dogs did is they couldn't find the cat in the tree, so they backtracked to the other four dogs, the mature dogs, brought them to the area, and the older dogs figured out what tree it was. And sure enough, before we know it, our GPS is saying that four or five of the dogs have something treed. You know, at this point, you know, the dogs have been out for about an hour. They're still sort of running around a few of them. So Doug isn't totally convinced, but he said, you know what, guys, let's go hike in there. They're about a kilometer and a half. We'll see what's going on. And at the very least, we'll just call them off. So we make our way in there and it's quite flat going in, but it just so happened where this cat uh, treed, it was on a steep slope down. And sure enough, we walk up and there's a cat in the tree. And that was an absolutely amazing sight. I'm sure you can agree with that one, Joe. Oh, yeah, it was, it was unreal. I'm actually kind of glad it didn't go right to the bottom of that valley because that would have been quite the hike. Man, if, <laughs> if it would have went another 50 yards, we would have dropped a ton in elevation. Yeah, the elevation is crazy over there. It's like the... When, when the... When Doug said it's pretty flat, you know, coming from Alberta, you're thinking flat is flat. <laughs> but when you're talking to a guy in BC, flat is not flat. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think there is flat in BC, is there? <laughs> Anywhere. The water's flat. No, and that was sort of our our, our joke is, uh, you know, his flat is sort of our hills. And well, and you're from Saskatchewan, I'm so that's from even worse. Saskatchewan, yeah. You can see a deer like six miles away. Yeah, no, that's flat. Yeah. So anyways, we got this cat up in the tree. The dogs are barking. They see us. They're super excited that we're there, and they know, you know, it's go time. This cat might come down for them. And so... Yeah, for sure. You know, we, we set the cameras up. Um, Doug's trying to get a look to see if it's a male or female. And this cat isn't in a very great spot to get video footage. Like, we got the best footage we could get of it, and we got probably half hour of of footage of this cat but it was it was laying down in the tree sort of crouched up and would have been a nearly impossible bow shot eh there joe yeah no i don't think i could have took that with the bow at all no you would have needed that cat to stand um yeah but it, it would have been tough there were a lot of limbs in front of it and uh just it was not moving for us yeah, you need someone down there beating it with a beating the the tree yeah. with a stick. So we're trying to get this cat to move because we want to determine whether it's male or female. Right. <laughs> Typically, I wanted a tom. That's what I was going for was a mature tom. So we're trying to, you know, we hit the tree a little bit. Joe did that. Tried to get the cat to move. The cat just was not moving. wasn't budging. It was so high up there, it knew it was safe. And so, you know, it's half hour, forty minutes of trying to get this thing to move, and finally, you know. Doug's like, well, boys, you know, we can pack her in, or if you want to take this cat, you can take it. Totally up to you. I said, well, we don't know if it's a male or female, but ultimately it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We have a, you know, our tag's good for both. I wanted a, a large, mature cat. He said, Brody, it's, you know, it's got a, a big face. It's actually got white paws. A couple of the paws are white. It's a very nice cat. We don't know if it's male or female, um, so it's totally up to you. You know, if you want to take it, I'm in full support of that. If you want to leave, I'm in full support of that too. And, you know, seeing those dogs work for this, the two dogs, you know, finding that track when we thought they couldn't. And I told that camera when we released on the dogs or released on the cat that this is going to be a tough one for the dogs. They probably won't find it. And they did. Mm -hmm. The dogs worked their ass off for this one. They got it treed. 
when we never thought they could. And when I seen that cat, I was so darn excited walking up to that thing. I, I told myself, if I get the go-ahead on this one, I'm taking it. So without knowing if it was a male or female, I had sort of already made up my mind that I wanted to take this one. But if he told me it was a female and said, you know what, Brody, maybe we should pass, then I would have been okay with that. But he gave me the go-ahead, and I was pumped up. Um, I found a good shot. Luckily, where it was, like I said, it was on a steep bank. So I climbed up to the top of that bank, and I was pretty much eye level with that cat. So for a shot, it worked out pretty good. I was like, how far away were you? Oh, the time you were up there. It looked like I was a long ways away. Like it looked like, felt like I was 40 yards away, but I was probably 15 or 20. So it's pretty steep then. Yeah, it's very steep. And even yours, Joe, like when you ranged your cat and you told me it was, what was it, 15 yards? Yeah, it was 15. That thing looked like it was 40 yards away in the tree. You know how when you're hunting and animals look so much farther than what they really are? Yep. And when you got a little cat and you're looking way up, man, it can be super deceiving. And yeah, so, I arranged that thing like probably five or six times just to be sure. Just check, to make sure. Check my surroundings and like that can't be 15 yards. And it was 15. <laughs> you drilled that thing though, man. You you laid the smack down. Yeah, even yours, like yours, I couldn't even see you when you were shooting. I was, I was on the other side of the valley there, kind of. Yeah, it was, it to was your, super, left, super thick. And so what we actually did with the camera, we got great footage. So Joe was filming from the opposite side of me. So he got the sort of head-on view of the cat. I had a camera with me, which had the side view. And then we put um, a Tacticam at the very bottom of the tree. So we could catch that cat falling down from the tree. Wow. Yeah. And the cat actually fell down from the wrong side of the tree, but we still caught it falling down in the frame. But anyways, I got to right eye level with this cat, and I told you, Joe, I said, man, this is going to be the hardest 22 shot I think I've ever made. Like, it just seems like a tough shot. Um, and the cat was crouched and lying down, so his vitals weren't showing really good. But I wanted the cat when I seen it at first. You know, I knew that was the one. So, you know, there's a, just a big ball of fur. It's not standing. It's laying down. It's not moving. So I sort of just looked for those vitals, you know, took my shot. And then that cat stood up. We could tell it was a good shot. But it actually walked around the tree. And so it came around again. I put another one in it. And then it just dropped right down. And that was the 22. I actually brought a 223, thinking that would be great. But, you know, they've got such, such thin thin hide, thin skin. You know that, you know, if anyone knows it's you, it's like tissue paper. It's like tissue paper. It's almost like a rabbit. Yeah. You know, and then their, their body is so small. The 223 would just blow a massive hole. If you're going to hit bone or anything where the 22, it goes through and it doesn't exit, which is nice. Yeah, It's just so soft. Yeah. So yeah, two shots with the 22, the cat fell and the dogs were just absolutely ecstatic. So are the dogs allowed to, uh, go up to the cat? Yeah, so typically what he does is he will, when we're ready to shoot, he'll leash up all the dogs, leash them to a tree. Now, he allows the dogs to get a sniff of it, get a little bit of taste of it. That's a success, right? Yeah, get a sniff, get a bit of a taste. But those dogs are so fucking revved up, man. So, like, they want to rip the cat apart? Like, if you let them, would they? Well, tell them what happened with mine, Joe. Oh, yeah, there's... They're crazy. Well, what about my one? That was did, on did the they, road. They, were they tugging on yours too? <laughs> Remember, I was standing on the road holding it in the air. Yes. 
Okay, so I gotta tell. Holding it above my head. You tell that story. So I we parked the truck down the road, and then we ended up. uh, Yeah. So Doug pulled. I walked back to the to the back of the truck with a cat, and then Doug wanted to pull the truck up to get the dogs. So he lets them all go. So me and Joe, just let me cut in. Me and Joe were set up about 60 yards away just so we could get photos on the road. And he had the dogs. He was bringing the dogs to the truck, which was 60 yards, 80 yards away from us. Yeah. Okay, go on. I just, I thought I lost you there. Hold on. No. Just having some technical difficulties here. There we go. Oh, so yeah, I'm standing on the road and all of a sudden I see four dogs running at me and I'm holding my links in my hand and then they're like going nuts and then I'm holding it as high as I can over my head and they're jumping at me and I was like, oh my God, they're gonna... I, I didn't know what was going on, but it was pretty crazy. Yeah, so it was one dog and then two dogs and then four dogs and before I know it, all six dogs are surrounding him and he's holding his cat right up in the air. Oh, man, they just love those cats. They want to get a taste. Yeah. And so a similar thing happened with mine, right? So he had them uh, them leashed up. We got our photos, so they were in the background of the photos. I really wanted that. And um, and then he said, do you mind if I give the dogs, you know, a taste? Let them have a lick. I said, yeah, go for it. So he takes the he takes the the cat, sets it down, takes one dog off at a time, and he starts with the two youngest ones. So these are young dogs. They're about a year, year and a half old. And they're always leading the pack, right? So they're full of piss and vinegar. And their adrenaline's just jacked to the max. And this cat's on the ground. And they want to tear this thing apart. So they grab a leg and they're pulling. And he's like, nope, nope, pulls it away or gives him a little tap. And, oh, yeah, they wanted to tear this thing apart. But eventually, you know, he got them all to obey the cat. And they all got their little taste or lick. And, uh, you know, skinning that cat out, there wasn't a, wasn't a hole or anything in it, nothing at all. And I was surprised because some of those dogs were pulling pretty good. Like they wanted that cat, man. But those um, dogs are amazing that he has. Oh, absolutely amazing, man. Like that track in particular, you know, you got to think that thing was probably six, seven hours old and, uh, it just wasn't fresh and it was warm that day. So it was melting and windy and, uh, and they cessed it out and they got that cat. They, they had it treed, couldn't find it, got the other ones. And just by how hard those dogs work, um, I, I wanted to get that cat, you know, it just made the story. So I was thinking I was, you know, I had intentions of maybe doing a two part series for this if we would have treed a couple cats and decided to pass on them and had a little more lynx footage, we would have done two episodes. But because we just treed the two cats, killed the two cats, we're going to put together one action-packed episode, and it'll actually be released more than likely in late July on uh, Wild TV. So it'll be a fun, fun episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, actually. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, be a lot of fun. One. So is that the first hunt that you've uh, you've filmed? Yeah, that's my first hunt I've ever filmed, yeah. So Right on, and you just picked yourself up a, a camcorder since you've been home. Yeah, so I so went to... I, uh, I light a little fire, just like you lit a little fire in my uh, my uh, heart for knives? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I do a lot of solo hunting, and, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of recording on my phone, 
and stuff like that. But I, I love hunting elk and I can never, I can never show my friends like the true sounds and the, just the way the, it comes alive. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get a camera with a mic. I'm just going to set it up. I don't even care if I get footage. I more or less want to get sound. So I probably could have just went and bought a mic and would have been okay with that. Well, you know, of all animals, you know, hearing those elk, and if you can see them, it's an even bigger bonus. But, you know, just the fact that you can share those things with, you know, your 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 family and your friends. And that's what got me into it at first is I sort of come from a, a family that doesn't doesn't didn't hunt much. They always supported it, but they didn't do much hunting. And so I was experiencing all these, you know, amazing things, bears and deer, and uh, I wanted to share that with them. And that's sort of, you know, what fueled my fire and got it started. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm glad you got a cameraman because some of the stories you told me of, you know, cougars following you and elk. Yeah, I've, I've had some pretty pretty crazy hunting experiences so yeah that and like you said you were telling me on the way down there you you got uh you know you could always have memories or you could have some that you could actually show people and i was like you know that's i gotta do that i have to do that i was the the whole trip was just unreal for like everything that's inspired me to do the things i'm doing right now (laughs) Yeah, it, it was a life-changing trip for yourself, and I have no doubts that you probably did not intend that going into it. No, not at all. Not at all. So do you want to do you want to dive into that a little bit of, of how it was a life-changing trip and uh, what you plan on doing going forward? Yeah, I guess we can, yeah. So um, one thing is I was a heavy smoker. I smoked a lot of cigarettes. I ate a lot of junk food. As you know, I ate, you know, chocolate bars. I had Coca-Cola. I had tons of chips. I've always had snacks. And talking with Doug, you know, he's like, you know, you're smoking. You're just stealing. You're stealing from yourself. You're stealing from your kids. And so I started doing math. And I was like, you know, I'm probably smoking like $8,000 worth of cigarettes in a year. Like that's, that's just on smokes. That's not including pop, chips, chocolate bars. So I was like, you know what? When I get home, I'm going to quit. And one other thing I want to do is I want to go on a sheep hunt in 2023. So I actually uh, started a workout program. It's called the 21 Day Fix. I'm on day three only. But yeah, my whole body is like completely sore right now. (laughs) So yeah. If you're going to get ready for something, you know, a sheep hunt, that's definitely something that's going to keep you honest. Yeah, you know, like everyone I talked to, they said it's it's not uh, all physical. It's a lot of mental game. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely 90% mental. So you know me choosing this path to quit smoking, cut out junk food. Like, all in just one shot, just, you know, I'm done. You know, that's going to make me mentally stronger in the end. Yeah, no, that's what you got to do, man. And I have no doubts that you're going to succeed 100% in this. Um, and I'm glad you you uh, brought it up on the podcast. It keeps you honest that way. Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. 
100%. So it's day three. <laughs> day three. Yeah, you betcha that. Well, good for you. You know, I'm, uh, I, I was thrilled to see that when you had posted that on Facebook. And um, the thing with Doug, man, they don't sugarcoat nothing. He says it as it is. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, there's just a lot of things. I was actually even, you know, just before watching the podcast, another thing I looked into is this was actually a couple of years ago was the death race they run in uh, Grand Cache. So it's, I think it's 150 kilometers over 17,000 feet of elevation. Wow. So, so tell me a little bit about that. What, what exactly <laughs> is this? And, and yeah, it, give, give me a little background information on what that is. So yeah, the, the death race is, yeah, it's, I think it's a hundred, 125 kilometers and it's a foot race through the Canadian Rockies. Holy shit. And it's uh 17,000 feet of elevation change. So you're backpacking out there. You're literally jogging the entire time running. I think it's four days. So there's, I think there's five pieces of it. Okay, well, don't don't kill yourself, Joe. Like, I understand if you want to cut back on uh, on this that's, or that and do a sheep hunt, but 125 kilometers in the Rocky Mountains in four days? Yeah, I think that's looking more like 2025. If that's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do the sheep hunt first. Quit smoking first. That's my first step uh, to this new goal in life. I, I love to set goals in my life, though. You know, stuff that I could achieve. I love to push my limits. So, yeah, just one more thing to do in life. Fantastic, man. Well, good for you. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so one hunt down. What else do you got planned for? Uh, what do you got planned next, hunting-wise? Oh, um, I'm gearing up for spring bear. Spring bear. Nice. You bet. Yeah, pretty excited for that. Yeah, you new- So you uh, baiting bears or spot and stock or what do you got planned? Uh, I think I'll do, I'll probably do some baiting. Definitely do some baiting. Nice. And you got a new bow coming in. Yeah. Just ordered a custom uh, APA to be honest. Oh, good man. You went with the APAs. Oh, this thing is going to be slack, man. It's going to have some uh, T-Rex Damascus in there. So. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. Well, if it's got APA's name on it, it's the best of the best. You know, I've been looking at APA for probably three years now. You know, I've shot I shot Matthews. Uh, it's funny in my house. I got uh, so all my my son shoot my stepson shoots, and we shoot. Uh, I shoot PSE. Two of my boys shoot Bowtech. Uh, one shoots Hoyt. So you know, I used to shoot Matthews. So we're not just stuck on one thing here. Everyone kind of does their own thing whatever's comfortable for them well that's the same for me you know i i grew up with shooting bear and then um you know shot a lot of bear and then shot a little bit of matthews but didn't really try anything else but now now i definitely am uh stuck on one brand and then with the new apa oh yeah actually i just bought my nine-year-old uh bear bear cruiser i believe yeah bear bear's a fantastic starter bow for a kid they're just you know highly adjustable and easy kit yeah this together. one can go up to 45 he's nine so hopefully by the time he's you know 10 11 he can pull back that legal weight and let some arrows fly right on man that's awesome yeah um you know the cool thing with apa is they are a canadian company 
So you can literally drive down to their factory, go see what they have going on in Saskatchewan. Um, you can call the guys who are going to be building your bow and basically, you know, get everything custom from the strings, their risers, whatever, everything, any color you want to any pattern you want, they can basically do it. Um, and they actually just came out with uh, a new line in their Mamba series, which is for beginner, you know, bow hunters, which is fully adjustable in uh, draw weight and draw length. Yeah, yeah. So sort of. Yeah, like it's, I just cruiser. seen that. Actually, just seen it the other day. Um, yeah, what is it called? Uh, I think it's yeah. like the APA Mamba something. I can't exactly remember. I seen it the other day too. Um, I should know this, but yeah, if, if you if you want to get into bow hunting, but um, you know, are sort of unsure on what you want to get, I always suggest get a bow that you can adjust your draw weight. Because getting into it, you might buy a 50-pound bow, but realize that it, you can pull 60. Or you might buy a 60-pound, and it might be way too much for you. So buy a bow that you can adjust your draw weight. Use that for a couple of years, and then figure out what your draw weight is, what your draw length is, and then you can get you know something that's uh, you know a, a, a better quality bow. Um, but yeah, APA came out with these new ones, which are actually adjustable draw weight and um, they're great for guys getting into it, and they're actually super lightweight as well. Um, I think they're lighter than the, the regular Mambas. I could be wrong on that, guys. But, um, yeah, check it out for yourselves. Go on to uh, APA Archery and uh, check out their bows. They've got some amazing stuff going on this year. Um, one of the features I really liked on their new bows is the Microtune. You showed me that on your bow, Eric. Yeah, and that's super important. Yeah, so it sort of explain what that is and how that works. Well, on the APA Mamba, there's a it's a dual cam system, right? So there's two cams that roll over as you draw your bow back, and you know my bow is set. I have a it's set to to eighty pounds, which is pretty high. Um, so you can really notice when the cams aren't timed properly, and so your old bow, um, we were shooting side by side one day. Mine has the micro tune. Your bow is a year. Older, older and they hadn't had the micro it doesn't have time. the micro tune so yeah. to um keep the timing on your bow what you have to do is put your cam lock pin in loosen off or or put your bow in a press and then take your cables off and twist them one turn or two turns to make them shorter so that that one camera the other rolls over faster and uh, with this nice micro tune it's just a little locking knob and then a little tightening or loosening knob, and then you tighten that lock back up, and you're you're tuned. And so what that's doing is that's making sure your cams are all rolling rolling over at the exact so, same time. Yeah, it's like having two springs that launch your arrow. If you if you imagine your bow as a triangle, with your arrow being you know the leading point of the triangle, you want those two back points to be firing at the exact same time. If one fires first or one fires the other fires first, that arrow is going to be off. A little bit one way or the other and i would bet you 90 percent of archery guys who shoot bows their bows are off in their cam timing well the most important thing when it comes to shooting compound archery is to tuning your bow and too many guys just don't do it you know too many guys avoid shooting through paper or even just avoid taking their bow to a shop every year to get it tuned up yeah um, but you know, you pack them on a quad, you pack them in your backpack, you shoot hundreds of arrows in the fall or the spring throughout the summer. Um, they're, they're like anything. They're just like a vehicle or any piece of equipment. They need to be tuned up and checked and strings, is, strings stretch and 
you know, stuff slides and nuts and bolts loosen. And, you know, you should just do it every year or every couple yeah. months if you're shooting lots. Well, yeah. I've even noticed going from like an indoor range to a minus 16, minus 17 weather. There's, there's a difference. Oh, absolutely. You, and, you know, and you know, um, when I got into archery, I sort of didn't really know where to start. So, you know, you go into Cabela's and you see, they've got a little desk with an archery sign and they've got 12 bows hanging from racks from the roof. And it looks super fancy and cool. And you go and talk to the guy that stands behind the desk and picks his nose all day. And you find out he doesn't know his head from his ass when it comes to archery. And he's been instructed probably by some video, unfortunately, how to take screws in and out of bows to set them up, how to cut arrows. And he really doesn't care. He's working nine to five or whatever. Um, and then when you go from that to a professional like APA, and uh, they really care how their bows leave their shop. They really care that they're set perfectly to your length, your weight, um, your body style. Um, they've even turned our guys, team members of ours, away from a certain model of bow and pushed them towards another one because it's going to fit them better. Yeah. You know, instead of just selling them the highest ticketed price or the fanciest thing ever, um, they're going to make sure that it fits you because they're, they want to make archers, right? They don't just want to sell a bow that's going to ha- hang in the shed and collect dust. Yeah. That's like, that's like me. Like I was, you know, for a while there, I was like, Oh, you know, I want to get some that shoots like 377. You know, I want this super fast, fast bow. And then I started thinking, I'm like, you know, you want something comfortable. You hunt with your bow, you know, you're, you're out this, you're going to use this 99% of the year. Like I like pretty much hundred percent use a bow all year round. And I'm thinking, you know, do I really want something that's just going to be all torque and no comfort where I can't change lanes? You know, it's going to tear my shoulder when I go to shoot or just just a big difference here, I think. Well, it's, you know, it's just like you you don't need a, a 45-70 to hunt every every big game animal that's out there, right? And uh, Well, you haven't met my brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know a few guys like that too. <laughs> My brother thinks everything should be shot with a 12 gauge and a slug. <laughs> My brother's his favorite gun is a 4570. That's so funny. <laughs> but you know what? It, well, if you do it, if you do it five or seven days a week, you're out in the bush during season, you know, and, and you take it really seriously, especially archery. It's a martial art, right? So you, you want to, you want a weapon that's tuned to you and tuned to your style and, for me, you know, I, I know we're really pushing, plugging this APA hard on this this podcast right now, but that that uh, Mamba 28, nice and small, fits on my back. It doesn't hook on any branches and stuff when you're crawling through the bush. Fits on my quad nice. Um, not afraid to take it to the mountains, weighs nothing. You know, now I hunt with a bow 95% of the time instead of 60% of the time just because it's easier to pack. And I like having yeah. it more than I, I like packing my rifle around. Oh, just just bow hunting alone. It's just it's so much more challenging. It's just you know. Well, and and, and the passion you, for you bow test hunting, yourself. Yeah, it's it's one in itself. Yeah, and that's exactly. I bought the twenty eight too. You know, and that's the reason I went with the twenty eight is for the durability of you know. I do a lot of hiking. I do a lot of you know. I'm in the bush. A lot of solo stuff. A lot of trails. So. 
Well, it, it's fu- it's kind of funny, you know. Eight or ten years ago, a bigger bow was was the thing, right? Kind of like cell phones. They went bigger and then they start getting smaller again. Um, you know, I'm not a huge guy. I'm five eleven. You know, 170 pounds, something like that. So I'm not super tall. Not real big. I don't need like a 32 inch, 34 inch axle axle bow. Uh, 28 yeah. just fine. You know, my draw length's only 28 and a half inches. So yeah. if I was drawing 30, 31, like some of some of the guys on our team that wanted that 28 axle to axle, um, APA told them, you know, you'd be better off with the Cobra or the bigger modeled bow because it's gonna shoot, it's gonna perform better for you with that longer draw length. Yeah, that's like my son. You know, my son's he's he's over six. I think he's six two, almost six three, and he's he's shoots thirty one. So yeah, you know, so typically never, that Mamba twenty eight. He'd uh, never fit into a twenty eight. He'd it just he would be looking down, well, looking straight they, down. That's what they've said. Like the Mamba twenty eight, um, thirty inch draw length is is sort of the max to get your peak performance out of it, and then once you go up, I think it's a thirty one. The Mamba 31, I believe it is. Um, and that would fit him just perfectly. But, uh, yeah, yeah no, I, great I, bows, man. And when you got something, you know, that's that's tuned well, that's, you know, sh- super efficient, everything's firing just perfectly, and it's comfortable to you. Um, when you know that your bow is doing what it should, it is just having that peace of mind makes shooting arrows and, uh, you know, whether you're target shooting or actually hunting, it just makes it that much more enjoyable. Feeling deadly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's one thing I miss with this COVID is uh, I miss uh, Grand Prairie Archers. They got an awesome club. They got a bunch of 3D targets. And usually in the wintertime, you know, that's where we go hang out. Yeah, this year we just haven't been able to do that, so that's it's kind of sad, really. Yeah, no doubt. Are they opening up? Is there any news on that? There's actually a meeting coming up here in the next day or so, so I'm just been kind of watching my emails for that. Yeah, but they set up at uh, like they set up at Evergreen Park in the summer, and yeah, it's 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 a good time. Right on, right on. Yeah, we got a small club here, uh, and they actually they did a couple 3D shoots a couple of years ago, and uh, they were a ton of fun. But really, that's the only sort of 3D shooting I've done, or or even target shooting with a club. Um, we don't have anything indoors, but uh, yeah. I've been I've been paying close attention to that uh, Total Archery Challenge tour that that's been going on down in the states the last few years, and that really looks looks like something to be a lot of fun. Yeah. They do it on uh, like all terrain mountain bike courses and ski hills and stuff. Yeah, and they you know cut down little narrow like six inch pathways through trees to shoot, and you're shooting like 120 yards at a moose across a lake and yeah, uh, steep stuff cute. straight down, and it's you know it's not your typical 3D shoot. I seen a good one the other day. A guy had a he actually had a steel target of an elk with just a little tiny hole. And you don't hit the hole, you're smashing arrows. <laughs> That's too expensive for me. Yeah, that would get yeah. awfully costly for myself. But, it, you know, that guy's just challenging himself, you know. He's got a steel target with a small hole, and you miss the target, you're, you're busting arrows. Well, so. you, you can spend a, probably a good work week going down the rabbit hole of archery trick shots online. <laughs> Oh, for like sure. Guys oh. shooting like wedding rings out of the air and, you know, golf balls yeah. and all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah. Three arrows actually, at once. 
She There's a guy I follow pigeons. on Facebook that he he does some pretty crazy stuff with his bow. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad we could have you on there, Joe. You know, we had an absolutely incredible week there in BC. I was just thrilled that you could come along with me and experience that. And uh, yeah, awesome to have you on the podcast. I'm glad we could tell those stories. And keep doing what you're doing, man. Those knives you're pumping out are just absolutely magnificent, incredible pieces of art. Um, you know, mine, my kitchen knife, we use it every day. And that thing is super, super sharp. I'm just thoroughly impressed with how well it's holding an edge. And that, um, yeah, just love that knife. Absolutely. That is awesome. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for uh, inviting me down on that uh it was awesome. I had time in my life. Sure, we'll get in on a few more hunts over the next few years. Well, if you so. uh, if you stay off the cigarettes, you can buy a little bit of sheep gear with eight thousand dollars. Yeah, that's what I hear. That's what <laughs> I hear. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, you guys have a good night. Thanks for having me on. Um, it was it's been awesome. I had a, had a good chat. Awesome, Joe. Thanks so much, man. We'll chat soon. Yeah, bye now. Thanks. Well, that is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Joe Carefill, and I am absolutely pumped we get him on. Mr. T-Rex Knives. Mr. T-Rex Knives. Yeah, guys, honestly, if, if you don't follow T-Rex Knives on Instagram or Facebook, go over there right now give him a follow. Uh, just absolutely incredible pieces of art, those knives. They are uh, thoroughly impressive. And they're sharp as hell. I noticed the... Uh few holes in your links when i was working on it here at the shop the other day you know what i did man we were skinning out that links and it was getting late and and uh it was tubing the legs and everything but i was cutting the the joints off so yeah. i was leaving the paws in so i could do them at the shop and i got to the joint and i'm you know i'm shoving that knife through about to cut it off and i slipped yeah and sliced like three quarters of the leg on my links. well and it just runs right it's just like tissue paper when you oh. cut a lynx it just runs like it's just like a thread coming out of a knitted sweater you'll or make something. a you'll make a cut that's like an inch and that yeah that's right it's like a thread in a knitted sweater how it just comes it just out comes, yeah, so yeah. you make an inch cut and before you know it it's like three inches four inches wide so when i got to the shop i got the paws uh skinned out the lips ears and eyes turned and then i actually stitched those up just so they don't get bigger and yeah. we'll see the stitches might come out in the tanning and the acid but um you know and if they do i'll restitch it but i just uh yeah i just didn't want it to open up anymore no it's good to dry dried closed yeah that'll be the biggest thing yeah. yeah so and it was tricky man just trying to figure out where the start of that cut was because it opened up so much yeah like when i was done i stitched up six or eight inches mm -hmm. and it was like a two inch cut to start yeah so crazy. uh yeah no but just beautiful links you know a hunt i'll remember forever um doug and julie are magnificent people really know how to how to accommodate people and cook amazing meals and uh you know great great hunt well, i'm glad you guys so, weren't hunting in this minus 45 we have right now yeah you know and it was beautiful man. i was a little it was worried like two degrees zero degrees when yeah, we were out well there. you had the sun because we didn't yeah yeah so the last week was it this cold yeah since tuesday it's been this cold it's been pretty cold not tuesday this week tuesday last, last week. week yeah oh shit they yeah tuesday wednesday it started to get really cold and then the first couple of days it really wasn't bad you know thursday friday 
It was minus 30, minus 28, yep. but no wind at all. Oh, okay. It was sort of the start of that polar vortex. Yeah. And so it was cold, like if you had any skin exposed. But you yeah. could, you know, you could stand outside and visit with somebody in the parking lot. And you're okay, because as long as you had a good jacket on, there was no yeah. wind that bites you like, you know, we're all too oh, used yeah. to. And then these last few days, it's just been snowing and whipping wind and horrible. It's been harsh, man. Um, so, uh, the wolf baits, they seem to be doing pretty well. They've been more, you know, as I presume they've been more active, um, the last week than at all. Yeah. Um, the That's rest of the good. winter, just because, just because it's been so cold, they like need cold that weather, they need that extra food in their yep. bellies. You know, I've been keeping them stock. I made sure I put a little bit extra out before it got cold and you know, they're hitting them. That's good, so, man. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I've got, uh. I got a Reconico trail camera coming for you. We'll put it up and see, uh, and get some instant messages of them wolves and see. Yeah, that'll be nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this cold weather, man. Those deer and and wolves and moose and elk, they uh, they try and put on as as much as they can, just so they can yep. keep their body working. Because if they don't, they will die. Yep, they will die. So you know, it's it's good to if you can, if you can, you know, get out in this harsh weather and put, you know, some some bales out some small square bales or you know some some sort of feed for your your ungulates and then uh you know they need those minerals right now too a, a good supplement like our ultimate big game supplement by antler obsession that's phenomenal this time of year they're hitting those sites hard um they actually almost hit them more because i think it's it's more work for them to eat the you know the the straw and the mm -hmm. the hay and stuff like that well it's just like a direct shot of nutrients they're getting from the minerals from the minerals yeah, yeah. so they seem to be hitting those really hard right now um but yeah you know if it even saves one deer well it's worth it if you ask me yeah so uh yeah, yeah well, hopefully we can get through this sooner or later we've got a an ice ice fishing day planned for sunday and monday with the kids um, I think it's still supposed to be around that minus 20, but we're going to be in a shack. Start so. warming up this weekend. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. So it's good to be back. Yeah. Awesome guys. Thanks so much for listening. Um, we have, yeah, we've been away for a couple weeks. We're going to have another podcast coming at you, you know, within a week here, we're going to try our best to do another one right away and release a couple back to back here. So, uh, thanks so much for listening. And, uh, yeah, be sure to uh, check us out again on Facebook and Instagram if you don't already. And, uh, yeah, that way we can stay connected with everyone. Yeah, we've got some wolf hunting coming up, so hopefully, you know, there's been some blood drawn on the next podcast. That would be awesome, man. That would be more than fantastic. That would be incredible. Okay, cheers, guys.